And uh, I'm just going to call the welcome team to come forward and take in the offering. If this is your home and South family, uh, we had a quick uh, South family meeting at the end of last week. Thank you so much for those of you who are able to stay. And God is good. He's already answering prayers on all that issue. And uh, let me pray quickly for the offering and then we will move on to our next part of the service. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are a risen God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us, according to your word, given us the ability to make money and that everything we have is yours. And so, God, we're just thankful for this opportunity to give back to that which you've already given us. And so, Lord, we pray a blessing on that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, a couple of months ago, uh, Nicole and I were chatting. Jack, can I do Um, uh, Nicole and I were chatting about what this morning could look like, and uh, I got really excited about the idea of doing a breakfast, and, and I said, let's do hot cross buns. And I just got this blank look from Nicole. Hot cross what? Hot cross buns. It, like, it's a bun with a cross on it. It's Easter. I'm pretty sure Jesus ate them. Let's, let's hot cross buns. And she said, what about waffles? I was like, and I thought, there's lots of crosses on waffles. Yes! Let's do waffles. So uh, Nicole and her family and her mum and Teresa Shaver, they did an amazing job this morning in getting this ready. Can we give them a big, big round of applause? We're very grateful for you all. And uh, it's just been so, so good. So I came to a realization this week as I was preparing uh, this message is that uh, my, my desire as a pastor is to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. I mean, that's, that's what we're called to be as, as Christians. And, and I came to the realization as I was reading some of the words around uh, Jesus' life and John, that actually I really, really am not like Jesus at all, especially in preaching. Because uh, I know we have a number of guests and we have different people. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been a couple of times and, and, uh, and, and this is great. And, and even South Family, you come every week. I, my goal, my desire is that in some way I can convince you to believe in a certain way or to think in a certain way or to live in a certain way. And, uh, and then I read what Jesus did. Crowds followed Jesus for days to hear him preach And then he would say things that just didn't make sense. Like literally, the crowd would go, what what does he mean by that? Like seeds on the ground, sowing thorns, what? Like does that make any sense at all? And we know that because Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 8, he says, you know, basically, this is Glenn's paraphrase, if if they get it, great. If they don't, well, they just don't. The scripture is, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that later on, his own friends, his disciples, said, Okay, Jesus, can you explain to us what it was you just said to that crowd that had been following you for days and clearly you don't mind if they leave confused? I, Glenn, don't want you to leave confused. I want you to leave the South going, That was, that was great. And, you know, the, the, he made sense, that British guy, a little bit. And, his accent's a bit weird, but it kind of made me laugh a little bit and made me, you know, that was a nice, that, some people say to me, uh, that was a nice lecture. I'm not sure whether that's positive, because when I think about getting a lecture, it always seems to be quite negative, but I, I choose to believe that that's positive. And, and that's what I want, is I want you to leave feeling good about yourself. Jesus didn't seem to care about that. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because it's, it's almost like he's, he made a decision that those, that those who wanted to know the truth, they searched after him. The disciples later on went, can you explain? And Jesus was okay to go from the large crowd to the small group and go, yeah, I will explain. It's very, very different. He was very confident. He was very sure in the word of God. And so the truth is, as I consider what it is that... Or, prayed through, and I went for a long walk this morning, I was praying through my sermon and praying for this morning and different aspects, and I realized that really the truth is, is I can't convince you about Christianity. I'm just not that good. In fact, the Bible says that the only person who can convince you of Christianity is God himself, and so I need to leave that with him and be confident in that. But my goal is to inspire you to search after him. 
I want, to, I want you to be one of those that go after Jesus and after Christianity and go, okay, I need to learn more about that. I need to think that thing through a little bit. But the problem is, is sometimes we don't want to know where the truth actually leads us. We don't want to know the truth. So one of my favorite foods, and I, have, I do mention the food from, from Britain quite often. Um, I don't know if you know what that is. <laughs> that... that in Britain, that's called a kebab. And you have kebab shops. And they look a little seedy, a little grubby. Uh, in fact, people won't go in them unless they look that way. And this is something that they scrape with large knives into, into kind of bread. And then you eat it, especially on a night out or something. I have to say... Pardon? Oh, donair. I'm sorry. That's very posh, isn't it? It's a, it's a posh way of making something that's hideous. Well, in Britain, they're called kebabs or dunes. Um And so you scrape them. The Brits in the room are probably going, oh, yes. Or probably not. I don't know. I used to enjoy these. But what I didn't want to know was what was in it. I chose to believe that the grisly bits were fruit or veg or something. And it was good for you. It tasted great. You know, just, but yeah, but Glenn, you need to know. No, I don't need to know what's in it. Because if you tell me what's in it, you're going to ruin the experience. Don't tell me what's in it. My, I'm happy and naive. And that's a nice place to be. Because it just, my kebab world is unaffected. Now, the reality is, is if I ate a kebab every day, then likely it's going to have severe consequences. It's going to have consequences to my health and my, my future and potentially my family's future if all I did was eat that. Now, I think about the rest of England. I thought about Scotland. Like, if you think this is bad, if you eat the Scottish food, it's horrendous because they fry everything. I'm not joking when I tell you this. They fry Mars bars. They throw them in and Mars bars. They batter Mars bars. But my favorite thing is they get a, a pizza, right, Sarah? They'll fold it over and throw it in the deep fat fryer. And it expands to 27 times its thickness. And then they eat it. And that's why they wonder why they've got the worst heart disease rate, maybe in the world. I don't know. But certainly in Europe, while England is still in Europe, uh, or Britain is still in Europe. But don't tell me what's in it. I don't want to know. I'm happy. And we approach Christianity like that, some of us. Some of you might approach Christianity like that. Glenn, don't tell me what actually Eastern Christianity is actually about because you'll ruin it for me. I'm happy not knowing. I, I, I'd rather it be about Easter eggs and bunnies and, and all that cute things like on the ears, on the heads of kids. It's, that's what it's, And it's like, no, you're eating a kebab. It, it, it looks great, but, well, for some of us, don't, don't ruin it by actually telling us what it is actually about. I'd rather just be blissfully naive and happy. I'd rather not know what Christianity is about. Don't, don't, don't ruin it. But the question I have to ask is this. is What happens if what you think is true actually isn't? What happens if those grisly bits aren't vegetables? What happens if that actual uh, that, that, that kebab actually is filled with stuff that, and we know it will, eventually kill you? What happens if our belief system and our thinking and what we think is, to be, is true and not true about Christianity, what happens if it's not true because the consequences of it being correct and you being wrong are enormous? Huge. And so it makes a great deal of sense to actually consider what it is that we think and to just reflect on it. Remember what I started off by saying, I can't convince you, but all I want to do is inspire you to look into it yourself. And in by doing that, you might discover some truth that you actually didn't realize was true. So I'm encouraging you this morning, just for the next few minutes, is go where the evidence takes you, not where you hope it takes you. Let me say that again. Go where the evidence takes you, as far as Christianity is concerned, not where you think or hope it will take you. So here's what I've done. I've basically structured my, uh, my talk this morning around some maybe you thinks. Maybe you think dot, dot, dot. 
So the first maybe you think is this. Maybe you think Jesus was a good man and a good teacher of love and wisdom, but over the years his believers started to tell stories about him. They wrote it down and that's where we get the New Testament from. Maybe that's what you believe. Maybe you just believe the Bible has been put together by a group of people who are seeking to bring control historically and it's just all made up nonsense. The only problem with thinking this way, and so I'm going to respectfully give you a little gentle rebuttal on all these maybe you think. Remember, I'm just getting you to think in a different way. I'm not, I'm not trying to bully you into thinking my way, because I can't do that. I'm not that good. But the reality is, is historians, scholars, many of which are not Christian, as well as Christians, would actually very quickly tell you, as far as the New Testament is concerned, that they are historical writings. You can't discount them. You can't say they were made up because the actual evidence against it is huge and is increasing the more that we're able to examine and look into ancient artifacts. Now, if you go back to the fall and listen, there's an actual whole sermon about can we believe that the Bible is true? And so I'm not going to go through all that, but I encourage you, you can find it on the website, listen to that. Can we believe that the Bible is true? Because as soon as we say Bible, it goes, yeah, but the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, and I don't like that bit, and I don't like this bit. Well, let's just take a breath and actually just think, okay, what is the Bible actually saying? Because historians tell us, not Christians, historians tell us that all of the New Testament was written within a few years of the people actually being alive. So I could write something today about something that happened 15 years ago, which by the way, many of the Gospels were written, that, especially Paul's writing, 15 years after Jesus' death. I could write something about something that happened 15 years ago, it was only 2003, and I could make it all up. There's enough people alive today to go, no Glenn, you're an idiot and you just made that up. It's exactly the same then. So the New Testament accounts were actually written very, very close to the life of Jesus. They were too full of detail to be fiction because that kind of fictional writing wasn't part of the uh, ancient writing style. It just wasn't. So there's mounting evidence. Paul, in in 2 Corinthians, he talks about there's 500 witnesses to Jesus being alive. Go talk to them. And the leaders that he was telling them that to didn't say, actually, no, yeah, we will, because we know that's not true, because it was true. So that maybe you think doesn't hold a lot of water. Go search it out. Go look. And when I say this, this is part of the problem that we have in our culture, is our research often, not always, I'm not saying everybody does this, but certainly the younger generation, what they'll do is go, right, I'm going to hit YouTube. Was the New Testament true? Three-minute video comes up with a guy who's never lived outside of his mum's basement in his PJs saying, no, it wasn't true. Good enough for me. And so I'm encouraging to actually look at what educated people say about the New Testament. Maybe you think Jesus didn't really die. This is an easy one. Because historians, again, tell us, not Christian ones, just historians, tell us there's a really big problem with this argument, and it's simply this. The Romans were really good at killing people. They didn't make mistakes. Which is why they were really, their empire was enormous, because they were really good at killing people. Well, maybe he was asleep is an actual argument. By the way, this argument is the most used argument by Islam and atheists alike, though he wasn't really dead. He was just napping. And and I say that flippantly, but that's actually true. That's what they they believe, that he was asleep. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm good at napping. I'm really good at napping. I love naps. Naps are godly. But I'm not sure whether that I'd be able to nap through what Jesus went through. And I wish I had more time to actually explain what happened on the cross. But there was a reason why there was a word made up to describe the pain that somebody would actually feel on the cross. And the word comes from, is called uh, excruciating, which is where we get our word crucifix from. The pain and the horror that Jesus would have experienced on the cross is beyond anything that we can imagine, which is why the Romans did it not just to kill somebody, but to bring them a great deal of shame and elongate their death. So, well, maybe he was put in the wrong tomb. No historical evidence for that at all. Well, the whole, the, whole, the whole thing was just, was just made up. 
It's a borrowed idea from other religions. Listen, the whole idea of the resurrection and death is completely unique to Christianity because at that time the Jews didn't believe in anything to do with resurrection. There was no other religion that talked about resurrection at that time. Maybe you think, okay, fine. The historical documents and Jesus died. I'll give you that, Glenn. For the resurrection? Really? You can't believe in the resurrection. Well, scientists got very excited this week because they managed to somehow get a pig's brain alive. Did you read that? First thing I think is, why are you spending money on that? Like, seriously. And, and, and you only need to touch John Casoso for a little while. We don't necessarily need them coming back from alive, do we, John? Pigs are crazy animals when you look after them. Just talk to John. The stories are wonderful. But really, the resurrection, Glenn? Come on, Seriously? Well, there's three really good reasons to believe, again, historically, why the resurrection actually happened. The first reason is, is the women in the story. Now, you need to understand this is not the way Christianity is. This is not even the way that God thinks and believes. But at that culture, women were such low value that anything that they said was not truth. Their, their word was not admissible in court. It was just dismissed because, well, you're a woman, which is horrible and horrifying and terrible and awful. But that's the reality of the society. So why would, if the New Testament was made up and the resurrection didn't happen, why would it be that, that, uh, that they chose to make women the ones who were the first to see Jesus rise again? It adds no credibility to the story whatsoever. It makes no sense. Because if you're going to make it up, Bluntly, you are not going to put a woman in it as to be the one who actually is the center of the story. You just wouldn't. It would make no sense whatsoever. The second reason of the resurrection is the smart people in the story. Now, here's one of the arguments against Christianity and religion and the resurrection especially, is, well, we're far more educated now. You know, we don't think that way. They believed in miracles then. They believed in the supernatural because, well, you know, they were a long, long way away. Well, this scripture is really interesting. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They doubted. Which means there was a large group of people at that time who were equally, if not more skeptical, than some people may be sat in this room today. They are not uneducated uh, people who are just going to believe everything. The idea of resurrection for the Jews was beyond actually what we think as being resurrection. They didn't believe in that whatsoever, not just on a physical level, but they didn't believe it on a spiritual level. And in that time, you add those two things together, there is no chance that Jesus would have resurrected in their mind, which is why they doubted. Now, normally on, on a Sunday morning, I start with Scripture and I expound out from Scripture and I talk about what Scripture says and then I pull it back into into a point. Today, what I'm doing is I'm coming to a scripture soon, but I'm just laying this argument towards this scripture. Okay? And so one of the big things that I need you to understand is that when it comes to this argument, we need to be really careful. We get caught up in our cultural moment. I say this a lot to people who are in the South family. I talk about how we think that our culture and our thinking is correct. It's right. Because we've got Instagram and Snapchat, we are nailing it. And, and I'm exaggerating to prove my point, but the reality is, is that oh, we get caught up in what we think is being right all the time, and we often, if we're not careful, dismiss anybody that's gone before. Those of us who are a little bit older and have children will know that. Because we get that look of, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about because you're ancient. And you're looking back to them going, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, but you will one day. One day. C.S. Lewis called it, and again, I say this quite often to the South family, it's called chronological snobbery. We're, this is what C.S. Lewis said, we're, ne- we're newer people, they're older people, we of course are smarter. I, I like that. So anybody in the past, and then you multiply it by hundreds and thousands of years, man, they were just running around bumping into walls all the time. They had no clue how to live life because they didn't have Google. I mean, I don't even know how the Egyptians managed to make those huge, incredible pyramids without a scientific calculator. I mean, how was that even possible? We actually don't know. But they were smart people. And they witnessed. And they saw Jesus. The other reason that 
we believe in the resurrection, is the transformed lives. These educated, some of them highly educated, some of them working class, swinging a hammer, kind of blue-collar worker, this group of apostles literally gave their lives on the back of what they saw happen on that Easter Sunday. Some of them died such horrible, horrendous deaths for a lie, for something made up. Peter himself begged not to be crucified the right way up. He begged to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the right way like Jesus. For a lie? For a lie? I don't know about you, you know... I've got to be pretty, pretty convinced before I'm going to do something like that. Like there's some of them, all of them bar one actually died hideous, hideous, horrible deaths. And the one that didn't was, was ostracized and exiled and put on an island to die. So these transformed lives point to a truth that happened to them that I am in my, if I'm not careful, in my chronological snobbery would dismiss because, well, they were back then. Whereas actually... There was people rubbing shoulders with these men and these women who'd had their lives radically transformed from this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ. I have to lean in and take notice of that. Maybe you think educated people don't believe it today, so why should I? Science, Christianity, nope. There's very, very smart people out there who do not believe in Jesus. You're absolutely right. There's very, very, very smart people out there who dismiss the whole Bible and are ardent atheists and are agnostic at best who believe there's something but not, not Jesus. And you know what? That, that's, uh, that, that's true. But there are very, very smart people out there who totally 100% believe in Jesus. Very, very smart scientists who believe. Some of the world-leading uh, scientists believe in Jesus. There was a recent, uh, well, 2009 American Association of Advancement of Science, the Pew Research Center poll. 51% of scientists believe in some form of higher power. That's increasing, not decreasing. 31% believe in a personal God. And so to say, well, Christianity and science can't be, you know, it's smart people don't believe in it, is actually just not, just not true. It's not true. Alice McGrath, professor from Oxford, uh, wrote this, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. One of the last remaining bastions of atheism survives only at a popular level, i.e., a, a, a popular level is a thin level, often internet level or a popular fashionable level, not historical or science level, namely the myth that an atheistic, fact-based religion is permanently at war with a faith-based religion. The myth. It's just not true anymore. But again, three-minute YouTube fellow in his basement eating waffles all day in his PJs. No, no, you, know, you, you can't be smart living Christianity. You, you actually need to go and search. Many brilliant, world-renowned scientists believe in Jesus. They've looked at the evidence. They've searched after him and said, what did you mean? They've looked at the evidence, they've read the Bible, they've asked good questions, and they've come to the conclusion that, yes, you cannot ignore that. Maybe you think, what difference does it make to me anyway? Don't tell me, Glenn, what's in the kebab. I don't want to know, because I feel like life's pretty good right now. Well, right now, fair enough. Maybe for now. But also, when it all goes quiet, and we unplug, and we switch off, and we're just left with our thoughts, and our heart, and our soul... Is it really all right right now? I said to you, we need to go where the evidence and the truth actually lead us, not where you want it to go, because the reality is, friends, and I say this lovingly as somebody who genuinely loves people and loves what I do, and I love this church, and I love my city, and I want to see it transformed. I'm, trying, I'm tired of seeing people, young people, young adults, giving their lives away, committing suicide, self-harming, and, and then families breaking up, affluent families breaking up, people who've got good cars, good houses, marriages breaking up, kids getting addicted, self-medication. I am, I am angry at the enemy and Satan, who I believe is alive and well, and I want to see transformation. Our vision as a church is to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So, why is this important? 
Because if it's true, and I wholeheartedly, 100% believe it is, because I'm not that smart, but I like standing with people who are smart because they make me look smart. <laughs> and we are all about the same. So if there's this whole host of people who are actually leaning into Christianity and believing it, I'm like, I'm in good company. Because it being true means it actually holds the answer to some, not only our city problems, but your personal problems. As a church, we want to be a place where it's, and this is not my phrase, but it's okay to be not okay. That's what we want to be as a church. Because we can't fix ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's just pause there for a second. Here's the promise of the gospel, the promise of new creation, the promise of what that represents and what Easter Sunday represents is the old is gone and the new has come. Just imagine your life with all the things that you have done, all the things that you have said, thought, being involved in, the stuff that nobody else knows, everything that is secret and you are ashamed of and you are trying to wrestle and wrap your brain and thinking, I can fix this, I can fix it, I can fix it, all the while feeling like you're drowning. Let me tell you, just imagine that that has gone and the new has come. Because when Jesus kicked the snot out of Satan and lived life again out of the tomb, what he did is he beat the old and he brought in the new. And when you become a Christian, you believe that Jesus died on the cross. And the scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, this new life, we call it righteousness, floods into you, slams into your soul, changes you forever, and you are a new creation. That's why Easter Sunday is everything. And if that's true, it would be the height of crazy to ignore that going, actually, don't tell me what's in the kebab, Glenn. Because I'm, I'm actually okay with life what it is, what, as it is. Don't tell me what Christianity is actually about. Well, I just described in about 30 seconds is what Christianity is all about. And if you spend time with some of the beautiful people in this room and more who aren't here today, what you'll find is testimony and story after story after story of the old has come and the new has come. But Glenn, I don't want it to be true. Well, that's different. Because thinking it's not true and ignoring it is one thing. Believing it might be true and going, actually, I don't want it to be true. You're in really, like, that's that's scary land. That's scary land. Because you're actually making a decision that you can fix yourself. There are smart, educated, successful people in this room who believe in Jesus. There are people who, like me, probably wouldn't say, well, I'm not the smartest. You know, I've got a bit of education. And, you know, kind of the, the socioeconomic range is wide in this room. And that's great because what Jesus does is he levels all those off and he puts us into two categories. And he says, you've kind of got the old that are holding on, believing that they can fix themselves. And you've got the new who believe, and even though life is tough, they've got a great hope. For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus dying and taking our sin and shame and it dying with him then gives us righteousness. So he knew no sin. The scripture says became sin and sin died with him. For those who believe in him, righteousness can change your life. Righteousness can change your life. So as I bring this to a conclusion, I want to say, I, want to, I just want to skip through because I, I think I've explained that pretty well. Every other belief says you must work for acceptance, forgiveness, and contentment. Every other religion. You've got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be accepted. And you'll find this, and you'll find enlightenment, or you'll do this, or whatever. Christianity says it's just a free gift. It's yours. Take it, believe, confess. And this too, this righteousness can actually change your life. So this morning on Easter Sunday, we love chocolate, we love waffles. I think it's really cute with kids running around with buddy ears on. Well, I'm assuming it's just the kids. But whatever your family likes, that's fine. And that's great. Because it talks to me in my mind, I've just transferred it into my thinking that it's spring. Spring means new life. New life means the old is gone, the new has come, and I can celebrate So today, I want to encourage you, Christians, we need to live in this. We need to live it out. This story needs to exude out of everything we say and do and believe in, the way we parent, the way we lead businesses, the way that we go to school, everything. 
It needs to exude out of us this contentment, this joy that's found in Jesus Christ. So that's why we sing, and that's why we celebrate, that's why we have waffles on an Easter Sunday morning. If anything I've said, kind of goes, I'd really like to chat with him about this, or chat with another pastor. We, I'd love to do that. It'd be an honor to do that. And so, again, on the back of the connection card, you can fill that in, and you can give it in, and there'll be nobody watching, because there's lots of people who tend to do it on a Sunday morning. It's all good. But we'd love to chat with you about it. Because remember how I started? I can't convince you. I just want to inspire you to look into it. Because it will change your life. Not just for now, but forever. Next week, before we sing and the team can come up, and I'm going to pray in just a second. Next week, we start a new series. Joshua. Is there any Joshuas in the room? Oh, just the one. Okay, good. Our token Joshua, you're welcome. It's a good, strong name. Conquering your Jericho. We start this next week. This is a really, really cool series that I'm looking forward to jumping into. And, and essentially, it surrounds the whole battle of Jericho and that Joshua faced this wall in his life. And so we're going to spend seven weeks. He took seven days to march around Jericho. We're going to take seven weeks to actually see how we can use the principles of Joshua to conquer the walls in our life, walls of finances or family or work or relationships that we're going to believe that they can be conquered and destroyed in Jesus Christ and so I'm really looking forward to jumping into this series and I hope that you come back and and seven weeks seven weeks I'm believing it will change our lives so uh, let's let's do that let's invite people to it and uh, that'll be good so we're going to sing how great thou art yes That'd be good. We have something a little bit different just before we sing. If you could stand, we're gonna we're gonna um, repeat. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna repeat something that hopefully will appear on the screen. Actually, Sarah, I'll let you lead it. I'll pray, and then you can lead it, and then we'll sing together. So this is oh, this is just um, a little response, um, and we can all sing together. But praise the Lord. Good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. Praise the Lord. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. Praise the Lord. This is the good news. Now we are God's people. And uh, I'm just going to call the welcome team to come forward and take in the offering. If this is your home and South family, uh, we had a quick uh, South family meeting at the end of last week. Thank you so much for those of you who are able to stay. And God is good. He's already answering prayers on all that issue. And uh, let me pray quickly for the offering and then we will move on to our next part of the service. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are a risen God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us, according to your word, given us the ability to make money and that everything we have is yours. And so, God, we're just thankful for this opportunity to give back to that which you've already given us. And so, Lord, we pray a blessing on that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, a couple of months ago, uh, Nicole and I were chatting. Jack, can I do this? Jack, can you pull the TV forward for me just a little bit? Thank you. Um, uh, Nicole and I were chatting about what this morning could look like, and uh, I got really excited about the idea of doing a breakfast, and, and I said, let's do hot cross buns. And I just got this blank look from Nicole. Hot cross what? Hot cross buns. It, like, it's a bun with a cross on it. It's Easter. I'm pretty sure Jesus ate them. Let's, let's hot cross buns. And she said, what about waffles? I was like, and I thought, there's lots of crosses on waffles. Yes! Let's do waffles. 
So uh, Nicole and her family and her mum and Teresa Shaver, they did an amazing job this morning in getting this ready. Can we give them a big, big round of applause? We're very grateful for you all. And uh, it's just been so, so good. So I came to a realization this week as I was preparing uh, this message is that uh, my, my desire as a pastor is to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. I mean, that's, that's what we're called to be as, as Christians. And, and I came to the realization as I was reading some of the words around uh, Jesus' life and John, that actually I really, really am not like Jesus at all, especially in preaching. Because uh, I know we have a number of guests and we have different people. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been a couple of times and, and, uh, and, and this is great. And, and even South Family, you come every week. I, my goal, my desire is that in some way I can convince you to believe in a certain way or to think in a certain way or to live in a certain way. And, uh, and then I read what Jesus did. Crowds followed Jesus for days to hear him preach and then he would say things that just didn't make sense. Like literally, the crowd would go, what, what does he mean by that? Like seeds on a ground, sowing thorns, what? Like does that make any sense at all? And we know that because Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 8, he says, you know, basically, this is Glenn's paraphrase, if they, don't, if they get it, great. If they don't, well, they just don't. The scripture is, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that later on, his own friends, his disciples, said, okay, Jesus, can you explain to us what it was you just said to that crowd that have been following you for days and clearly you don't mind if they leave confused? I, Glenn, don't want you to leave confused. I want you to leave the South going, that was, that was great. And, you know, the, the, he made sense, that British guy, a little bit. And his accent's a bit weird, but he kind of made me laugh a little bit and made me, you know, that was a nice, that, some people say to me, uh, that was a nice lecture. I'm not sure whether that's positive, because when I think about getting a lecture, it always seems to be quite negative, but I, I choose to believe that that's positive. And, and that's what I want, is I want you to leave feeling good about yourself. Jesus didn't seem to care about that. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because it's, it's almost like he's, he made a decision that those, that those who wanted to know the truth, they searched after him. The disciples later on went, can you explain? And Jesus was okay to go from the large crowd to the small group and go, yeah, I will explain. It's very, very different. He was very confident. He was very sure in the word of God. And so the truth is, as I consider what it is that or prayed through, and I went for a long walk this morning. I was praying through my sermon and praying for this morning and different aspects. And I realized that really the truth is, is I can't convince you about Christianity. I'm just not that good. In fact, the Bible says that the only person who can convince you of Christianity is God himself. And so I need to leave that with him and be confident in that. But my goal is to inspire you to search after him. I want, to, I want you to be one of those that go after Jesus and after Christianity. And go, okay, I need to learn more about that. I need to think that thing through a little bit. But the problem is, is sometimes we don't want to know where the truth actually leads us. We don't want to know the truth. So one of my favorite foods, and I, have, I do mention the food from, from Britain quite often, um, I don't know if you know what that is. <laughs> uh, that, in Britain, that's called a kebab. And you have kebab shops. And they look a little seedy, a little grubby. Uh, in fact, people won't go in them unless they look that way. And this is something that they scrape with large knives into, into kind of bread. And then you eat it, especially on a night out or something. I have to say, pardon? Oh, donair. I'm sorry. That's very posh, isn't it? That's a, that's a posh way of making something that's hideous. Well, in Britain, they're called kebabs or duners. Um, and so you scrape them. The Brits in the room are probably going, oh, yes. Uh, or probably not. I don't know. I used to enjoy these. But what I didn't want to know was what was in it. I chose to believe that the grisly bits were fruit or veg or something. 
and it was good for you. It tasted great. You know, just, but yeah, but Glenn, you need to know. No, I don't need to know what's in it because if you tell me what's in it, you're going to ruin the experience. Don't tell me what's in it. I'm happy and naive. And that's a nice place to be because it just, my kebab world is unaffected. Now, the reality is, is if I ate a kebab every day, then likely it's going to have severe consequences. It's going to have consequences to my health and my my future and potentially my family's future if all I did was eat that. Now, I think about the rest of England. I thought about Scotland. Like, if you think this is bad, if you eat the Scottish food, it's horrendous because they fry everything. I'm not joking when I tell you this. They fry Mars bars. They throw them in and Mars bars. They batter Mars bars. But my favorite thing is they get a, a pizza, right, Sarah? They'll fold it over and throw it in the deep fat fryer. And it expands to 27 times its thickness. And then they eat it. And that's why they wonder why they've got the worst heart disease rate, maybe in the world. I don't know. But certainly in Europe, while England is still in Europe, uh, or Britain is still in Europe. But don't tell me what's in it. I don't want to know. I'm happy. And we approach Christianity like that, some of us. Some of you might approach Christianity like that. Glenn, don't tell me what actually Eastern Christianity is actually about because you'll ruin it for me. I'm happy not knowing. I, I, I'd rather it be about Easter eggs and bunnies and, and all that cute things like on the ears, on the heads of kids. It's, that's what it's, and it's like, no, you're eating a kebab. It, it, it looks great, but... Well, for some of us. But don't, don't ruin it by actually telling us what it is actually about. I'd rather just be blissfully naive and happy. I'd rather not know what Christianity is about. Don't, don't, don't ruin it. But the question I have to ask is this. is What happens if what you think is true actually isn't? What happens if those grisly bits aren't vegetables. What happens if that actual, uh, that, that, that kebab actually is filled with stuff that, and we know it will eventually kill you? What happens if our belief system and our thinking and what we think is, to be, is true and not true about Christianity, what happens if it's not true because the consequences of it being correct and you being wrong are enormous? Huge. And so it makes a great deal of sense to actually consider what it is that we think and to just reflect on it. Remember what I started off by saying, I can't convince you, but all I want to do is inspire you to look into it yourself. And then by doing that, you might discover some truth that you actually didn't realize was true. So I'm encouraging you this morning, just for the next few minutes, is go where the evidence takes you, not where you hope it takes you. Let me say that again. Go where the evidence takes you, as far as Christianity is concerned, not where you think or hope it will take you. So here's what I've done. I've basically structured my, uh, my talk this morning around some maybe you thinks. Maybe you think dot, dot, dot. So the first maybe you think is this. Maybe you think Jesus was a good man and a good teacher of love and wisdom, but over the years his believers started to tell stories about him. They wrote it down and that's where we get the New Testament from. Maybe that's what you believe. Maybe you just believe the Bible has been put together by a group of people who are seeking to bring control historically and it's just all made up nonsense. The only problem with thinking this way, and so I'm going to respectfully give you a little gentle rebuttal on all these maybe you thinks. Remember, I'm just getting you to think in a different way. I'm not, I'm not trying to bully you into thinking my way, because I can't do that. I'm not that good. But the reality is, is historians, scholars, many of which are not Christian, as well as Christians, would actually very quickly tell you, as far as the New Testament is concerned, that they are historical writings. You can't discount them. You can't say they were made up because the actual evidence against it is huge and is increasing the more that we're able to examine and look into ancient artifacts. Now, if you go back to the fall and listen, there's an actual whole sermon about can we believe that the Bible is true? And so I'm not going to go through all that, but I encourage you, you can find it on the website, listen to that. Can we believe that the Bible is true? 
Because as soon as we say Bible, it goes, yeah, but the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, and I don't like that bit, and I don't like this bit. Well, let's just take a breath and actually just think, okay, what is the Bible actually saying? Because historians tell us, not Christians, historians tell us that all of the New Testament was written within a few years of the people actually being alive. So I could write something today about something that happened 15 years ago, which, by the way, many of the Gospels were written, that, especially Paul's writing, 15 years after Jesus' death. I could write something about something that happened 15 years ago. It was only 2003. And I could make it all up. There's enough people alive today to go, no, Glenn, you're an idiot, and you just made that up. It's exactly the same then. So the New Testament accounts were actually written very, very close to the life of Jesus. They were too full of detail to be fiction because that kind of fictional writing wasn't part of the uh, ancient writing style. It just wasn't. So there's mounting evidence. Paul, in, first, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about there's 500 witnesses to Jesus being alive. Go talk to them. And the leaders that he was telling them that to didn't say, actually, no, yeah, we will, because we know that's not true, because it was true. So that, maybe you think, doesn't hold a lot of water. Go search it out. Go look. And when I say this, this is part of the problem that we have in our culture, is our research, often, not always, I'm not saying everybody does this, but certainly the younger generation, what they'll do is go, right, I'm going to hit YouTube. Was the New Testament true? Three-minute video comes up with a guy who's never lived outside of his mum's basement in his PJs saying, no, it wasn't true. Good enough for me. And so I'm encouraging to actually look at what educated people say about the New Testament. Maybe you think Jesus didn't really die. This is an easy one. Because historians, again, tell us, not Christian ones, just historians, tell us there's a really big problem with this argument, and it's simply this. The Romans were really good at killing people. They didn't make mistakes, which is why they were really, their empire was enormous, because they were really good at killing people. Well, maybe he was asleep is an actual argument. By the way, this argument is the most used argument by Islam and atheists alike, though he wasn't really dead. He was just napping. And, and I say that flippantly, but that's actually true. That's what they, they believe, that he was asleep. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm good at napping. I'm really good at napping. I love naps. But naps are godly. But I'm not sure whether that I'd be able to nap through what Jesus went through. And I wish I had more time to actually explain what happened on the cross. But there was a reason why there was a word made up to describe the pain that somebody would actually feel on the cross. And the word comes from, is called uh, excruciating, which is where we get our word crucifix from. The pain and the horror that Jesus would have experienced on the cross is beyond anything that we can imagine, which is why the Romans did it not just to kill somebody, but to bring them a great deal of shame and elongate their death. So, well, maybe he was put in the wrong tomb. No historical evidence for that at all. Well, the whole, the, whole, the whole thing was just, was just made up. It's a borrowed idea from other religions. Listen, the whole idea of the resurrection and death is completely unique to Christianity because at that time, the Jews didn't believe in anything to do with resurrection. There was no other religion that talked about resurrection at that time. Maybe you think, okay, fine. The historical documents and Jesus died. I'll give you that, Glenn. For the resurrection, really? You can't believe in the resurrection, well, scientists got very excited this week because they managed to somehow get a pig's brain alive. Did you read that? First thing I think is, why are you spending money on that? Like, seriously. And, and, and you only need to talk to John Casoso for a little while. We don't necessarily need them coming back from a life, do we, John? Pigs are crazy animals when you look after them. Just talk to John. The stories are wonderful. But really, the resurrection, Glenn? Come on, Seriously? Well, there's three really good reasons to believe, again, historically, why the resurrection actually happened. The first reason is, is the women in the story. Now, you need to understand this is not the way Christianity is. This is not even the way that God thinks and believes. But at that culture, women were such low value that anything that they said was not truth. Their, their word was not admissible in court. It was just dismissed because, well, you're a woman, which is horrible and horrifying and terrible and awful. But that's the reality of the society. 
So why would, if the New Testament was made up and the resurrection didn't happen, why would it be that, that, uh, that they chose to make women the ones who were the first to see Jesus rise again? It adds no credibility to the story whatsoever. It makes no sense. Because if you're going to make it up, bluntly, you are not going to put a woman in it as to be the one who actually is the center of the story. You just wouldn't. It would make no sense whatsoever. The second reason of the resurrection is the smart people in the story. Now, here's one of the arguments against Christianity and religion and the resurrection especially, is, well, we're far more educated now. You know, we don't think that way. They believed in miracles then. They believed in the supernatural because, well, you know, they were a long, long way away. Well, this scripture is really interesting. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They doubted. Which means there was a large group of people at that time who were equally, if not more skeptical, than some people may be sat in this room today. They are not uneducated uh, people who are just going to believe everything. The idea of resurrection for the Jews was beyond actually what we think as being resurrection. They didn't believe in that whatsoever, not just on a physical level, but they didn't believe it on a spiritual level. And in that time, you add those two things together, there is no chance that Jesus would have resurrected in their minds, which is why they doubted. Now, normally, on, on a Sunday morning, I start with Scripture and I expound out from Scripture and I talk about what Scripture says and then I pull it back into into a point. Today, what I'm doing is I'm coming to a scripture soon, but I'm just laying this argument towards this scripture. Okay? And so one of the big things that I need you to understand is that when it comes to this argument, we need to be really careful. We get caught up in our cultural moment. I say this a lot to people who are in the South family. I talk about how we think that our culture and our thinking is correct. It's right. Because we've got Instagram and Snapchat, we're nailing it. And, and I'm exaggerating to prove my point, but the reality is, is that oh, we get caught up in what we think is being right all the time, and we often, if we're not careful, dismiss anybody that's gone before. Those of us who are a little bit older and have children will know that. Because we get that look of, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about because you're ancient. And you're looking back to them going, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, but you will one day. One day. C.S. Lewis called it, and again, I say this quite often to the South family, it's called chronological snobbery. We're, this is what C.S. Lewis said, we're, ne- we're newer people, they're older people, we of course are smarter. I, I like that. So anybody in the past, and then you multiply it by hundreds and thousands of years, man, they were just running around bumping into walls all the time. They had no clue how to live life because they didn't have Google. I mean, I don't even know how the Egyptians managed to make those huge, incredible pyramids without a scientific calculator. I mean, how is that even possible? We actually don't know. But they were smart people. And they witnessed. And they saw Jesus. The other reason that we believe in the resurrection is the transformed lives. These educated, some of them highly educated, some of them working class, swinging a hammer, kind of blue-collar worker, this group of apostles literally gave their lives on the back of what they saw happen on that Easter Sunday. Some of them died such horrible, horrendous deaths for a lie, for something made up. Peter himself begged not to be crucified the right way up. He begged to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the right way like Jesus. For a lie? For a lie? I don't know about you. I, you know, I'm going to be pretty, pretty convinced before I'm going to do something like that. Like there's some of them, all of them bar one actually died hideous, hideous, horrible deaths. And the one that didn't was, was ostracized and exiled and put on an island to die. So these transformed lives... 
point to a truth that happened to them that I am in my, if I'm not careful, in my chronological snobbery would dismiss because, well, they were back then. Whereas actually, there was people rubbing shoulders with these men and these women who'd had their lives radically transformed from this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ. I have to lean in and take notice of that. Maybe you think educated people don't believe it today, so why should I? Science, Christianity, nope. There's very, very smart people out there who do not believe in Jesus. You're absolutely right. There's very, very, very smart people out there who dismiss the whole Bible and are ardent atheists and are agnostic at best who believe there's something but not not Jesus. And you know what? that's, uh, That's true. But there are very, very smart people out there who totally 100% believe in Jesus. Very, very smart scientists who believe. Some of the world-leading scientists believe in Jesus. There was a recent, uh, well, 2009 American Association of Advancement of Science, the Pew Research Center poll. 51% of scientists believe in some form of higher power. That's increasing, not decreasing. 31% believe in a personal God. And so to say, well, Christianity and science can't be, you know, it's smart people don't believe in it, is actually just not, just not true. It's not true. Alice McGrath, professor from Oxford, uh, wrote this, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. One of the last remaining bastions of atheism survives only at a popular level, I, 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 a, a popular level is a thin level, often internet level or uh, popular fashionable level, not historical or science level. Namely, the myth that an atheistic fact-based religion is permanently at war with a faith-based religion. The myth. It's just not true anymore. But again, three-minute YouTube fellow in his basement eating waffles all day in his PJs. No, no, you, know, you, you can't be smart living Christianity. You, you actually need to go and search Many brilliant, world-renowned scientists believe in Jesus. They've looked at the evidence. They've searched after him and said, what did you mean? They've looked at the evidence. They've read the Bible. They've asked good questions. And they've come to the conclusion that, yes, you cannot ignore that. Maybe you think, what difference does it make to me anyway? Don't tell me, Glenn, what's in the kebab. I don't want to know because I feel like life's pretty good right now. Well, right now, fair enough, maybe for now. But also, when it all goes quiet and we unplug and we switch off and we're just left with our thoughts and our heart and our soul, is it really all right right now? I said to you, we need to go where the evidence and the truth actually lead us, not where you want it to go, because the reality is, friends, and I say this lovingly as somebody who genuinely loves people and loves what I do, and I love this church, and I love my city, and I want to see it transformed. I'm, trying, I'm tired of seeing people, young people, young adults, giving their lives away, committing suicide, self-harming, and, and then families breaking up, affluent families breaking up, people who've got good cars, good houses, marriages breaking up, kids getting addicted, self-medication. I am, I am angry at the enemy and Satan, who I believe is alive and well, And I want to see transformation. Our vision as a church is to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So, why is this important? Because if it's true, and I wholeheartedly, 100% believe it is, because I'm not that smart, but I like standing with people who are smart because they make me look smart. (laughs) And we're all about the same. So if there's this whole host of people who are actually leaning into Christianity and believing it, I'm like, I'm in good company. Because it being true means it actually holds the answer to some, not only our city problems, but your personal problems. As a church, we want to be a place where it's, and this is not my phrase, but it's okay to be not okay. That's what we want to be as a church. Because we can't fix ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's just pause there for a second. Here's the promise of the gospel, the promise of 
new creation, the promise of what that represents and what Easter Sunday represents is the old is gone and the new has come. Just imagine your life with all the things that you have done, all the things that you have said, thought, being involved in, the stuff that nobody else knows, everything that is secret and you are ashamed of and you are trying to wrestle and wrap your brain and thinking, I can fix this, I can fix it, I can fix it, all the while feeling like you're drowning. Let me tell you, just imagine that that has gone and the new has come. Because when Jesus kicked the snot out of Satan and lived life again out of the tomb, what he did is he beat the old and he brought in the new. And when you become a Christian, you believe that Jesus died on the cross. And the scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, this new life, we call it righteousness, floods into you, slams into your soul, changes you forever, and you are a new creation. That's why Easter Sunday is everything. And if that's true, it would be the height of crazy to ignore that going, actually, don't tell me what's in the kebab, Glenn, because I'm, I'm actually okay with life what it is, what, as it is. Don't tell me what Christianity is actually about. Well, I just described in about 30 seconds is what Christianity is all about. And if you spend time with some of the beautiful people in this room and more who aren't here today, what you'll find is testimony and story after story after story of the old has come and the new has come. But Glenn, I don't want it to be true. Well, that's different. Because thinking it's not true and ignoring it is one thing. Believing it might be true and going, actually, I don't want it to be true. You're in really, like, that's, that's scary land. That's scary land. Because you're actually making a decision that you can fix yourself. There are smart, educated, successful people in this room who believe in Jesus. There are people who, like me, probably wouldn't say, well, I'm not the smartest. You know, I've got a bit of education. And, you know, kind of the, the socioeconomic range is wide in this room. And that's great because what Jesus does is he levels all those off. And he puts us into two categories. And he says, you've kind of got the old that are holding on, believing that they can fix themselves. And you've got the new who believe. And even though life is tough, they've got a great hope. For our sake he made him to be sin, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus dying and taking our sin and shame and it dying with him then gives us righteousness. So he knew no sin. The scripture says became sin and sin died with him. For those who believe in him, righteousness can change your life. Righteousness can change your life. So as I bring this to a conclusion, I want to say, I, want to, I just want to skip through because I, I think I've explained that pretty well. Every other belief says you must work for acceptance, forgiveness, and contentment. Every other religion. You've got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be accepted. And you'll find this, and you'll find enlightenment, or you'll do this, or whatever. Christianity says it's just a free gift. It's yours. Take it, believe, confess. And this too, this righteousness can actually change your life. So this morning on Easter Sunday, we love chocolate, we love waffles. I think it's really cute with kids running around with buddy ears on. Well, I'm assuming it's just the kids. But whatever your family likes, that's fine. And that's great. Because it talks to me in my mind, I've just transferred it into my thinking that it's spring. Spring means new life. New life means the old is gone, the new has come, and I can celebrate So today, I want to encourage you, Christians, we need to live in this. We need to live it out. This story needs to exude out of everything we say and do and believe in, the way we parent, the way we lead businesses, the way that we go to school, everything. It needs to exude out of us this contentment, this joy that's found in Jesus Christ. So that's why we sing, and that's why we celebrate, that's why we have waffles on Easter Sunday morning. If anything I've said kind of goes, I'd really like to chat with him about this. Or chat with another pastor. We, I'd love to do that. It'd be an honor to do that. And so, again, on the back of the connection card, you can fill that in and you can give it in. And there'll be nobody watching because there's lots of people who tend to do it on a Sunday morning. It's all good. But we'd love to chat with you about it. Because remember how I started. I can't convince you. I just want to inspire you to look into it. Because it will change your life. Not just for now, but forever. Next week, before we sing and the team can come up and I'm going to pray in just a second. Next week, we start a new series. Joshua. 
Is there any Joshuas in the room? Oh, just the one. Okay, good. Our token Joshua, you're welcome. It's a good strong name. Conquering your Jericho. We start this next week. This is a really, really cool series that I'm looking forward to jumping into. And, and essentially it surrounds the whole battle of Jericho and that Joshua faced this wall in his life. And so we're going to spend seven weeks. He took seven days to march around Jericho. We're going to take seven weeks to actually see how we can use the principles of Joshua to conquer the walls in our life. Walls of finances or family or work or relationships. That we're going to believe that they can be conquered and destroyed in Jesus Christ. And so I'm really looking forward to jumping into this series. And I hope that you come back and, and seven weeks, seven weeks. I'm believing it will change our lives. So uh, let's, let's do that. Let's invite people to it. And, uh, and that will be good. So we're going to sing. How great thou art. Yes, that would be good. We have something a little bit different just before we sing. If you could stand. We're going we're gonna, to um, repeat. I'm going to pray. And we're going to repeat something that hopefully will appear on the screen. Actually, Sarah, I'll let you lead it. I'll pray, and then you can lead it, and then we'll sing together. So this is, oh. this is just um, a little response. Um, and we can all sing together. But praise the Lord. Good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. Praise the Lord. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. Praise the Lord. This is the good news. Now we are God's people.